Mic check. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Thank you, Ravi, for reading uh, God's word to us. Uh, let's bow for a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to hear uh, the word of God. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this time that we can gather as your people to sit at your feet to listen to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It's so good to see you here. I can't tell you how um, uh, blessed I feel when I look out and I see your faces. You know, many of you I haven't seen for quite a while. And uh, it's, it's good that, you know, things are uh, getting a little bit better in Singapore and they're emerging and they're uh, coming up with strategies in which uh, um, we reopen the uh, uh, society and the economy uh, because we recognize that um, COVID is endemic and, you know, we need to learn to live with it uh, with caution, but also uh, with courage to press forward as we move ahead. Uh, I want to share some thoughts from today's uh, epistle reading taken from Ephesians chapter 6. And it's a passage I think we know quite well. Uh, in particular, I remember growing up in the church in the 80s, maybe 90s, even there was a lot of talk about spiritual warfare. And certainly this was the verse that came up very often. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, I can't think of a more appropriate uh, passage to think about because we're right now in what is uh, commonly known in our society, uh, the seventh month. Some people call it um, hungry ghost month, right? And um, you may see all the things that are happening out there and Certainly, uh, uh, I was reminded of it because I got something on social media where they tell you, you know, what do you need to do to navigate this month to stay safe? And on the one hand, may may want to sort of uh, um, laugh at them and say, oh, you're so superstitious. But on the other hand, I may say to you, you know, this is something about us living in Asia. We are very much aware of the fact that not everything that exists is what we can see, that there are unseen things that happen in uh, the world around us that, um, you know, the five senses cannot compute. And I think uh, in our society especially, we, we recognize that there is darkness and there is light, that there are forces for good and forces for evil. But this passage in particular tells us that as Christians, we need to uh, approach this with wisdom, but also with confidence. And in particular, we're going to talk about the armor of God, but not in the way that we normally look at it in uh, um, our context, and, and I'll, I'll unpack that for you as we move along. But as we uh, think through this passage, as we allow the Word of God to speak to us, I hope it will prepare us for the realities of the world which we face, the realities of the fact that we do live in a contested uh, world, that it's not all plain sailing, that God although has won the victory, that Satan is still alive and he still operates uh, in the world today. But let's uh, go straight into the text. And Paul uh, is concluding and he's summing up the book of Ephesians, which is why he says then, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, if you have read through uh, Ephesians, especially if you read 
passages in context, and I really urge you to do that. You know, if you've not done that in the past, uh, find opportunities to do it. You know, if you find yourself with about an hour's uh, time, you know, read through the book of Ephesians. You can finish the whole book, six chapters, within an hour, guaranteed, no matter how slow you <laughs> read. Because oftentimes when you read a passage like that, you get the full sweep of what uh, um, the, the author is trying to um, point out, get an idea of the context of the passage. Uh, and in, in this case, you know, if you read, if you remember chapter 5 and even into the first part of chapter 6, Paul deals with relationships, talking about relationships between husband and wife, parents and children, relationships in the workplace, in their case, were slaves and masters. You know, and the, the, the idea of, of relationships and then suddenly you switch to spiritual warfare, seems like Paul's changing gears. Is he? I would suggest to you not. Paul is saying, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And I'll, I'll unpack as we move along. But, you know, why is he telling us to be confident? Now, when we face this reality that there is darkness in this world that opposes us, we do not have to cower and, you know, uh, get afraid. I remember when uh, there was all this teaching on spiritual warfare. I was still a young uh, man, uh, an adolescent at the time. And I, I started to panic. You know, I was reading This Present Darkness. I think uh, Peretti is the name of the author. And, you know, it's like you find demons everywhere and you started to get uh, um, uh, conscious of it and even concerned. But, you know, Paul starts his letter in Ephesians with a prayer for the Ephesian church. And it's a powerful prayer, but it uh, lays the context for us in which we come to the end and we consider spiritual warfare. He says this as he prays for the Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably uh, great power for us who believe. The power that is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name, that is invoked not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. I don't know if you realize how powerful this prayer is and the reminder of the power of God that's at work in each and every one of our lives. I, uh, you know, I, I can't remember how old I was when I heard a sermon and the, the, the pastor was sort of expounding on this passage and it, it has stuck with me and he pointed out this, you know, that the power that is at work in us, in verse 19, it says His incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. And he pointed out this, you know, think about it. If the uh, um, um, forces arrayed against God, Satan and all his minions, you know, if they wanted to defeat God at the cross, at that point of time, because they didn't have the uh, uh, um, privilege of omniscience, of knowing everything, it seemed like that they had won a tremendous victory, a great victory, right? They put Jesus into the grave. They killed the Son of God. 
And if you were Satan, what would you do? You would do everything in your power to keep him there, wouldn't you? You want to make sure that he doesn't uh, uh, get up again, because if he does, then we're in trouble. <laughs> and so the pastor was pointing out, you know, Jesus is now in the grave. And you can uh, think of the fact that he's in the grave. All the forces of darkness would have been arrayed to keep him there. But there was nothing that they could do to prevent God from raising Jesus from the dead. Not just raising him back to life, but raising him then uh, to ascend into heaven. And so, you know, as we think about that power that's at work in us, we need not fear the evil one. We do not need to be afraid because God's power is far in excess. You know, it's not a struggle where it's equal powers, you know, and they're uh, struggling back and forth. You know, there's, there's no question who is the champion, who is the one that has won. But nonetheless, we recognize that although Jesus won the victory on the cross, you know, already there's also the not yet. That there's still this earth that we live upon where Satan is still at work and he's trying his level best to, to, to do what he can to pull as many people into his realm, you know, before the end of time. But in verse 11, that's why Paul says to the Ephesian Christians, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And make no mistake, I believe in the devil. I believe that he is at work. I have encountered uh, times in which, you know, uh, I, I've, I've uh, had to minister to people who have been demonically oppressed or possessed, where I had to uh, um, engage in deliverance ministry and to cast the demons out. You know, and I, I know it's, it's not something that uh, uh, I would dismiss out of However, having said that, in my 20-odd uh, years of ministry, it's been rare in my ministry. Most of the time, the way the devil operates, you know, in Scripture, Jesus calls him the father of lies. In the uh, uh, book of Revelation, he, he's spoken about as the accuser of the brethren. More often than not, his schemes are more subtle. It's not necessarily a frontal assault. He speaks to our minds and he, uh, uh, you know, speaks lies to us. He causes us to be confused about what God says. And he accuses us, you know, causing us to sometimes doubt our own salvation or doubt the fact that God loves us. That's why, you know, we, we speak what we speak and we repeat what we repeat because, you know, um, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Why we put ourselves under the Word of God all the time to build faith in us and to counter the effect of the enemy. But he goes on then, uh, verse 12 is what we often uh, read and see. He points out that for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now again, remember the context, what I was talking about, that Paul right immediately before this spoke about relationships. And it's in that context Paul is saying, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, I don't know what happened uh, on your way to church this morning, those of you who are gathered here, or even those of you who are at home right now. 
I, I know sometimes in the past when I had to get the family ready, uh, especially when the kids were younger, huge struggle. And, you know, I would come to church and I would think, oh, I wish they were not like that. I wish my family members would be more cooperative. I wish they would be more hungry, you know, to, to meet with God. That I don't have to drag them out of bed. I don't have to, you know, fall. And then there's this huge struggle that goes on, right? <laughs> uh, praise the Lord doesn't happen so much now because um, they basically decide what they want to do when they want to do it. And they don't want to come with me. They can find their own way to church. You know, that's, that's fine. Or what goes on in the workplace? Or what goes on? you know, in other relationships that we may face. Very often we think of them as the enemy. And we treat them like the enemy. And Paul is saying, what is happening here is not just flesh and blood. That there are forces at work, evil forces that we need to be aware of. Be aware of the devil's schemes to divide and to conquer. And so in that light, then he begins to say this, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of, the, of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the armor of God as we know it in Ephesians. And I know traditionally uh, what we often do as pastors, preachers, as we expound this text is to go piece by piece and you know, uh, uh, deal with the individual pieces. And there's a place for it, and I think it's important that we understand it. But I want to take this slightly uh, in a slightly different tack. Because so often, the danger is that in uh, focusing on the trees, we miss the forest. You understand what I mean? When you get into the details, you miss the bigger picture. And oftentimes, we think of the armor like this, and we start to focus on each of the individual pieces of the armor. We fail to see that Paul says for us to put on the full armor of God. The way the armor works is if one piece fails, everything fails. You cannot have one without the other. That you need this full armor to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And, uh, you know, it's not a piecemeal thing. Every part needs to work. Now, scripture uh, or uh, biblical scholars tell us that the possibility of why Paul uh, used this illustration is because he was under house arrest at this point in time. Later on, you see in the last part of the passage, he talks about being in chains. And uh, the fact of the matter is, he may have well been chained to a Roman soldier who was guarding him. And, you know, as he's writing and he's thinking about the realities, you know, he, he looks at the Roman soldier and right there, he's got a sermon illustration, right? Uh, a, a ready-made uh, uh, um, uh, picture in which he can encourage the saints to put on the armor of God. And that may well be true. That's what happened. But you know what? Paul was also very much steeped in Scripture. He was a person who knew the Word of God inside out. Knew it, you know, studied it from a very young age and, and really understood Scripture. And what Paul also probably remembered was that in the book of Isaiah, there, is, there are passages which point to the armor of God. I'll show you. For example, here in 
chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. It says there, But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give direct decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness his sash around the waist. And then later on in uh, chapter 59, verse 17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and cloaked himself in zeal and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And, and lastly, the last passage is found in Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And, you know, in summing it up, I, I don't have time to go through all these Old Testament passages, but trust me, you can go back and check for yourself. All these references to the armor of God are actually references to God as our divine warrior, as God who fights on our behalf, on God who is the one who reigns. It is, that's what is meant by the armor of God ultimately. It is God to whom the battle belongs and fights on our behalf. That's why he then concludes this section by saying this, and, in, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever, whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. There, he was in a prisoner at this point in time. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. He says that we need to pray and, you know, bathe it in prayer because the armor of God is God's armor ultimately. And we need God to come and fight on our behalf in that sense. But look at what he says. He says this in particular, Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Why does he say that? Now, obviously, we need to pray for one another. Obviously, we need to pray for the church. And I'm immensely grateful. I know many of you have told me from time to time you pray for me. And I pray for you, and I hope we pray for one another, especially those of us in our, uh, in our CGs. You know, we find time to pray for each other and uphold each other in prayer. But look carefully at this uh, passage again. We take us back to verse 11, and it, you, know, you notice this repetition of this theme, stand. He says, take your stand against the devil's schemes in verse 11. Verse 13, he says, and so that you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then verse 14, he says, stand firm. Now, you know, I'm not a, a military tactician, but I did go through NS. And uh, when I was in NS, I remembered, you know, standing is not a stance that is a fighting stance. You only stand in a parade uh, square, right? You, you study, yeah, and then you stand in attention, right? But when you're uh, fighting, the first thing we taught, you know, when we went to BMT, you went out into the field, you know, you know when you're under attack, what do you do? You prone, you know, take cover. You crouch behind something that will give you some protection. Or you charge up a hill. Standing was not a normal uh, way of fighting. But remember, Paul was speaking about the way they used to fight in those days. And the way the Romans uh, conquered the known world 
was they had this innovation called the Roman phalanx, in which they would stand shoulder to shoulder with one another as a unit, lock arms, and you'd stand firm against assaults of the enemy. And they would just basically, it was not a fast way of fighting, but they would basically roll over any opposition in front of them because you know, they would come and clash with them and they could not defeat the Roman. And in the end, you know, trying to get through, they cannot get through, the Romans would eventually overcome all their enemies. And so when Paul was thinking of the fighting forces, putting on the armor of God. I know traditionally we often think of it as an individual exercise. But you see, they never understood fighting as being something done as a single soldier. It always had to be done as a unit. And you need to do it together. You need to stand together if you are going to overcome overwhelming odds. And that's precisely what Paul had in mind that when we fight you know it is the discipline the unity the coordination that makes us stronger together you know this pandemic one of the questions many of us as pastors have been asking is this as society reopens as they start to relax a lot of the regulations and people are allowed to come back to church i'm really grateful for you and i'm sort of preaching to the choir those of you who are here <laughs> you know i hope we do come back and we continue to gather physically because we are physical beings you, there's something uh, about being in the physical presence of one another that makes a huge difference it makes a difference to me I don't know if you can feel it. I do, you know, when I'm preaching to an empty hall, I know that sometimes the worship team is there and I'm preaching to them. It's quite different when I have a hall full like this. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is not just my own thinking. This is Scripture's witness, right? We know this passage well in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Let us consider how to stir one another, up, uh, stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have to stand together if we are to stand against the assault of the evil one. Putting on the armor of God is not an individual exercise. It is a reminder that we need to do it together and stand shoulder to shoulder. You know, that's why we invest so much time, effort, and energy, for example, with our care groups. Because we need that community to uphold each other. But the care groups don't stand alone also. We, you know, we're part of a larger body, like we are here gathered as a congregation, the English congregation of uh, Good Shepherd. And, uh, you know, coming back into a service like this reminds us that we are connected to one another, that we're part of a larger body, that we have brothers and sisters in Christ to help us get through the tough times, get through the times in which we face opposition from the evil one, get through the times in which we struggle sometimes to even stand. As I conclude, I want to take us back to uh, the book of Isaiah because this is an important aspect which I think we sometimes miss when we think about the armor of God. 
Isaiah 59 verses 14 to 20 is where uh, you remember the people of God were in exile in Babylon. And Isaiah was speaking to them and, and you know, telling them to hold fast. The, 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 as they looked around, they look at the chaos in society. They've lost everything that they loved and uh, what they wanted. You know, things were not going the way they hoped they would go. And, and, and this is Isaiah's uh, word from God to them to encourage them. And in verse 14, I pick it up. It says, so justice is driven back talking about the reality of what they were facing. And righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found. And whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. The Lord looked and was displeased. And there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him, and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as his breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. <coughs> he put on the garments of vengeance, and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. According to what they have done, so will he repay wrath to his enemies, and retribution to his foes. He will repay the islands their due. From the west, people will fear the name of the Lord. From the rising of the sun, they will revere His glory. For He will come like a pent-up flood that the breath of the Lord drives along. The Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. And so we see that the divine armor, the full armor of God, was ultimately what God himself put on. That it is our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is the divine warrior, who fights on our behalf. That, you know, when he saw that uh, the people of God were unable to save themselves, he put into uh, motion his plan for salvation that we see worked out in Jesus Christ. Yesterday, I preached the same sermon to our Saturday service and I asked them permission and they said yes. And I'm going to ask you permission. Can I get honest with you as your pastor? You know, I've known this teaching on uh, the armor of God most of my Christian life. And, you know, from time to time, I've tried to faithfully put on the armor. At, at certain stages in my life, it was a daily prayer, you know, that I put on the armor. I put on the belt of truth to make sure that I live by truth, breastplate of righteousness, that Christ is my righteousness, you know, uh, the, the preparation of, uh, uh, for the gospel of peace as my sandals, uh, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, you know, all the parts of the armor. But I admit to you as your pastor, I often fail. <laughs> Certain parts through the day, you know, would fail. And after, you know, trying to get out of trouble, I tell a white lie and I realize, oops, there goes truth. <laughs> right? There are times I struggle sometimes even with my uh, uh, assurance of my salvation, you know, strange to say. 
But sometimes you wonder, does God really love me? You know, will He really <laughs> accept me for who I am? And I could go on and on and on how my faith sometimes fails. How uh, I don't find myself ready to pre uh, pre present the gospel when an opportunity presents itself, you know, because I'm too busy or I, I don't want to be bothered. I, you know, make an excuse and make my way uh, elsewhere. And this is the reality all of us face. That we fail in putting on our armor. But you know, that's the message that God brings to us through His Word. Is that because we cannot save ourselves, He Himself is our divine warrior. He Himself takes up the cause on our behalf. He Himself fights the battle for us. I don't know what circumstances you may be facing. Whether there is deep darkness in your life because of, you know, a health challenge or uh, issues with your relationship, trouble with your finances. There is a measure in which we recognize that, you know, the schemes of the evil one are at work. But more often than not, he's not the one that's perpetrating the problems. What he does is he accuses he spreads lies. He causes you to doubt. And what I want to bring to you today from God's Word is this reminder that God is our divine warrior. That when we look at the cross, we see a God who fights on our behalf, who comes to rescue us. He has done it before and He will do it again. That we need to place our trust in Him. To know that it is Him, our God is the one who will sustain and will deliver. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let us take to heart this word to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power doesn't mean we need to somehow or other by human strength try and <coughs> work ourselves up to strength. Try and king out this uh, uh, strength but it means that we need to put our trust in Him fully and recognize that He is our strength. It's like what Paul learned in his own trial. And God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. For when you are weak, then you are strong because you find your strength in Me. No longer are you relying on yourself to get yourself out of these situations, to get out of this trouble. And I believe God is saying to each and every one of us here that the Lord knows what's going on. And what He's calling us to do is to surrender to Him. To allow the divine warrior to come and fight on our behalf. Yes, there are things which we will need to do in response to that. But it's first this orientation, this attitude towards Him that, Lord, I will surrender to you. 
and I will take you at your word, and I will obey what you tell me to do. That's the first step that we need to take. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. And I hope you will take this prayer to heart. I know there are different types of people who are gathered here in this place, but also even those watching uh, online through the live stream. For some of you, you've been struggling with certain areas of your life. And you've been trying very hard on your own to defeat the enemy, to overcome this darkness, to overcome the trials in your life. And I want you to hear the word this morning that God says to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. The mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, that overcame all the forces of darkness and of evil. So place your strength in Him. Put your trust in Him afresh. But also mindful that there are some of you who may be listening to this that you have never really come into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is inviting you into this personal relationship. To get to know Him. To come to believe in Him. To understand who is this God who is mighty to save. And the first step is for you to open your hearts to Him and to say, yes, Lord, I invite you in. I acknowledge my sin that has separated me from you, but I thank you for this finished work of the cross, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, but also to deliver us from all darkness. And invite Him to come into your heart today. So in a moment as I pray, I want to pray for these categories of people and all of us here, everyone in between, pray that the Lord would truly seal His Word in our hearts so that we may experience His mighty power in our lives. God, our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, I just pray for You to bring these um, scriptural truths, these gospel truths, deep into our hearts, Lord. To banish the doubt, the fear, the concerns, the anxieties that so plague us. To encourage us, Lord, to soldier on, to remain in the battle, to put on your armor, Lord, which means putting our trust fully in you and trusting that you as our divine warrior fights on our behalf. That, Lord, we are not standing alone in this battlefield. That you go before us. And Father, we pray especially for those who have yet to come into a relationship with you. I believe, God, you are calling them to yourself right now. And I pray that, Lord, they will enter into this relationship with you in a new way. So that they will have new eyes to see life as it lays before them a new hope in which to step forward in faith in you. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. We ask and we pray all these things in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen.
before we conclude the service, we're going to take